Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So happy Father's Day to all of you who've been blessed to be a father. In the midst of that, there has been a strategic plan by the enemy, oh, for at least, he's trying to figure it out over there, at least 40 or 45 years of tearing down fatherhood, and he's been quite successful, which is a, a large element in the decline of our nation, America. So I come across this little video clip, and I want to show you in one aspect, the statistics, which is kind of what our guys are. We're just kind of single-focused type people, statistics. In one aspect, it's sad, but in the other aspect, it shows you how important and vital you are as the father in the home. If you have a little trouble swallowing some of that, ask any teacher in this sanctuary. Ask our youth leaders and youth group. You will be stunned and shocked at some of the stories. In fact, if you remember the whole reason for restoration is to reach out to that generation. Remember, we'd have that wall or that whatever they would call it, they would write on their stories are just unbelievable. So it was almost non-existent when I was young, and now the life I had when I was young is almost non-existent. It's crazy in just a short amount of time. All right, well, here we go. Let's uh, go before the Lord and see what God has for us today. Uh, this morning's message has to do with I think we make the gospel almost too hard at times, too hard, and the Lord has never made it hard. Hard to do, hard to perceive, hard to understand, hard to reflect it into your life. It isn't. It's not that hard. And so we're going to look at that and see what God has uh, for us. I've titled this morning's message, Overthinking, Overthinking This, what we call the gospel. Starting out in Matthew 18.1, it says this. Now, you listen, we're, we're reading the Word of God, okay? The Word of God, and that should mean something to you and I. I mean, that's where the buck stops. There is no yeah buts. There's not the Word of God plus this, not the Word of God plus that. It's the Word of God, and this is where it is. This is where it stops. And so the Lord tells us this, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Typical Man, human response. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And he said, now listen, don't lose what simplicity he brings out here. This is what he says to you and I. The question is, who's the greatest? Okay? Remember Muhammad Ali would always yell, I'm the greatest. Everybody thinks Michael Jordan's the greatest. So here's the men. Who's the greatest? And Jesus said unto them, except you be converted, that's number one, and become as a little child, little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's for you and I this morning. Unless number one is, you got to be converted. That's not out of our reach of intellect or understanding. Converted, repenting is a turning around. When you used to live a life walking away from God, you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and now I want to live for you. That's turning around. That's been converted. And what great Einstein do I got to be as a child, God said. And he says, listen, not only did he say that, he says, unless you do this, you're going to miss it. Think of that. Oh, my gosh. Think of that. And there is a vein in the ministry that everybody wants to be a doctor. 
doctor of divinity. Have a doctor it. And sometimes when I go to these various meetings and, and various stuff, they're getting into these conversations. I'm just like, what? What are you talking about? And one time, a guy told me, uh, next Saturday, i got to do my defense. And I'm thinking, you coach a football team? What are you talking about? And what they're talking about are these huge things that they try to persuade this panel so that they could pass them as an intellect, and he becomes a doctor. Or he has to defend what he has presented to them as they bombard him with questions. And the Lord said, unless, does it sound a little bit opposite of what God says? And God says, unless you become a child, an absolute child. I think if I'd go to any one of my grandsons and ask them how my uh, motor works in my car, they'd go, hmm. I don't know if they'd be able to answer even why, uh, what keeps the tire up or what makes the rubber work or what makes the pistons do this or how does this thing with these things on it create music and why is the neck like this and why is it shaped like this stupid shape? Uh huh. So God is saying, unless you become like this child, you will miss heaven. Miss it. You theologians. Now, a child was a, a person of no importance in the Jewish society. It's not that they were meaningless. They just had no importance. I mean, when I was sitting down and my children were little and they were playing logos or riding those little Hot Wheels or all the various things, I didn't look at them or ask their input on our budget. It would be ridiculous. And so in the Jewish society, they had absolutely no importance at all. They were subjects to authority to elders. When I would go to my friend's house and play, my dad would always tell him, you call him Mr. Bittner. Mr. Bittner. I didn't go, why? How come? I said, okay. Where were you at all this day? How is that Mr. Bittner's? And, and this is where children really are um, one that has to be constantly looked after, not looked up to. They're looked to, to look after. Children are not threatening. I would not be intimidated if I turned a corner in an alley in a dark night and there was a five-year-old. True? Isn't that true? So children are not threatening. But when I have this tough and intimidating presence, could it be that I'm not like Christ? Because God says you are to be like a child? But so we think it's bad to be tough, intimidating. The certain poses that they do and all this kind of junk, how they walk or talk or live. And God says when, I, when, you, when someone turns the corner and they say you, they see you, the Christian, they should not be intimidated by your presence. Not be fearful for their life. Just like a child. Children are not good at deceiving. Did you take that cookie? Mm -mm. Cookie and milk all over their face. <laughs> true? Isn't it true? Um, and they, they're, they're miserable at fooling their parents. The parents just know. We had a house of four, and when it was quiet, you ran and looked. Isn't that true today still? If all of a sudden you're heard, whether it's one, two, or four, 
All of a sudden, become absolutely quiet. The alarms go off. You find out that they're either in your makeup or putting lipstick all over your wall, nice and quiet, because you don't hear them anymore. And God says, if you and I are to get into heaven, we have to be like children. When we are good at hiding ourselves and deceiving others, we aren't like Christ. We're not. We're not like Christ at all. The child is held up to an ideal. They kind of really are because they represent innocence. They have. My wife and I have at times, and we've held ours when they were little, and then our grandchildren now are now little, and sometimes you see those little precious brand-new-made lips, and sometimes you run 15, 20 years down the road and think, what's going to come out of those lips? That innocence. So what are they going to do with it's a type of innocence, a purity of faith, or just believing. And I can remember still, when we were little, we would have called Mr. Bittner. I would always tell him, my dad could beat your dad. Just a faith believing. It had nothing to do with size or who had muscles. He just was my dad. And God says, this is how we should be. Jesus knew that we must be converted to be like little children. And here's why. It's not in our nature to take a low place and to humble ourselves. When I was young and little, five, six, seven, eight, when I was getting in the car, I never got in the driver's seat. I never thought, well, it's my turn, old man. It's not in us to be humble or to be lowly. And so God has set this up. If you are going to come to me, then you must humble yourself and become like a child. Look, or you won't even see it. Verse 4 tells us, Wherefore, or whosoever, therefore shall humble himself. Now you can let God do it, and he can. And he has, and he will. Or you can obey the word of God and say, humble yourself. Now, sure, dads should be the authoritative figure. They should be. And when my dad said, take out the garbage, I didn't say, why? I didn't say, no. Oh, you got to be kidding. Okay? I mean, that's just the way we are. It's, a, a, it's a, an era, a dispensation that is lost now because the fathers have been lost. The fathers are missing in action. And so now we have what we have among us now in America. But God says this, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, look, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He answered the question. Who's the greatest? Who's the baddest? Who's the toughest? Waiting for some Rambo answer? Some Tarzan from branch to branch answer? And God simply says, just like that child. In fact, if you don't even become like that child, Tarzan, Rambo, Einstein, you're going to miss heaven. That's how much wisdom you've got to have to serve God as a little child. God loves it. I believe God loves when we come to him as a child and simply do what he says without reasoning it all out. Simply just do it. And there was a tone that all our fathers had. 
And there was a way that they would call us that we knew there was no ifs, ands, and buts. There better not be any little thing at all. When my dad would go, Joseph, I did whatever he wanted. Whether it was bed or wash the ears or eat the beans. <laughs> Seriously. Without reasoning it all out. The same goes with this. Just simply obey this. Just simply obey this. Don't overthink it. Just obey it. There seems to be, to me, nothing more that stirs and pleases God than simplicity or humility. Simplicity. Humility. God said it. That's good enough for me. Yeah, but you don't know what this means in the Greek and the Hebrew. Please. God said it. I believe it. It's good enough for me. And this is, the, this is the mentality. This is what we need to do and how we need to live. Even Paul warns us about losing this. And that was one of the things that God told me about once when he gave me the name of this church to call it New Hope, to bring those who have lost hope in church, in God, in America, in everything, give them new hope. And God also told me, keep it simple. Simplicity. Not a board for the band, not a board, board for the pastors, not a board for the fair, not a board for the youth group, not a board. Forget all that. Just have church preach the Word of God. Keep it simple. All that other stuff is man-made junk. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians. This is the scripture that God gave me before New Hope formed. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his sub. Subtility, subtlety, sorry, the B always messes me up. So your minds, listen, should be corrupted. That word means destroyed. When you get off the simplicity of just simply serving God and loving Him, you are prone to be destroyed. God said it, I believe it. In fact, as this message goes on, you think of the friends, pals, buddies, family members that used to serve God and where they are now. Are they better off? Three wives later, eight jobs later, whatever it is that happens to them, they are never better off. So God, Paul says through the Spirit of God, I fear something here. As the serpent has beguiled Eve, you guys are losing your simplicity. Your minds are being corrupted or destroyed from the simplicity that is in Christ. The father-son relationship. The problem starts when we start to overthink this, we call the gospel. For years I've told you what's my favorite answer. Perfect, you guys are good. You're good. Somehow you always remember that one, but I don't know why. And that's true. We're just folks. We don't know anything. We don't have the corner on truth. Luke 5, 4, Jesus says this. He said, now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught, for a catch. Okay? Now man's answer was Simon said, oh Lord, I'm, we have worked all night. And we've got nothing. We've been doing this all night. Lord, I got nothing. But here's that childlike answer that comes immediately after that, all that frustration. Nevertheless, Lord, at your word. 
Because you told me, I can't figure it out. I see no fish. I'm a fisherman. I've caught no fish. There are no fish here. That's not a good day for fishing. Nevertheless, God, because you said so. That's how you should live your life. I don't feel like singing. I don't want to worship. I don't want to go to church. I don't feel like praying. Nevertheless, God, because you tell me not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that men ought always to pray and not get tired. That I should worship you, put on the pray, uh, garment of sacrifice and praise and worship. Nevertheless, God, because you said it, I'll do it. That's all you got to know. That's all you got to do. That's it. I didn't have to understand what kind of garbage was in the garbage bag. I didn't have to understand why my dad put the garbage bag there and the garbage can over there. I didn't have to understand actually how to pick it up. All I had to do was get that garbage in that can. And it pleased my father. He said, nevertheless, at thy word. And when he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish and their nets began to break. Made no sense. Was no logic in it. There was no doctorate divinity intellect in it. But it happened. Simply because God said so. So when God looks at you and simply says something either through the preaching of the word or through a song you hear or through something you read in the word of God that makes no sense that even you look at the various situation and every screen, everything screams death, yet you say, God, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to believe it. And you take that step. That's all you got to do. Become like this child. I can't figure this out. God, I don't know why this situation. Everything seems to be death around. Everything I try to do. And yet, God, you tell me to do it again? Okay, God. I'll do it. Simply because you're my father. And you will humble yourself to heed his word. Nevertheless, God, at thy word, I will do it. And when the great fish came in, they were astonished, and you will be astonished. Look at this. Please listen. These are the words of God. Isaiah 119 says, If you be willing and obedient. That's telling you and I something. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Doesn't mean everything will be rosy. Life's always great. It's just saying you will eat of the good of the land. If you be willing and obedient. I mean, we're always willing for stuff. Yeah, ooh, ooh, yeah, I want that, I want that, ooh, ooh, yeah, I want that. Okay, go work 20 days in a row and you can, you don't want to be the obedient, you just want. And God says, if you be willing and obedient, this blessing will be for you. You will accomplish this. And he goes on in verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. In other words, this is not just a catchy little phrase or something a pastor says to scare you. God puts on there, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. Obey and be blessed. Rebel and the sword will devour you. And you are the only ones that can make the choice. That word devoured means to be wasted. Your life is a waste. Whether you make lots of money or no money, it's a waste. 
You've accomplished nothing that God has had for you. Which phrase better describes your life? Willing and obedient or refuse and rebel? Each have consequences, either course. One, you can eat of the good of the land. The other, you can be devoured by the sword. No wonder the Lord says to us over and over, come now, let us reason together. You're about to do something. Wow, God, thank you for... Ah, and off you go towards the cliff. Disobeying the word of God and think nothing's going to take place. Like there's going to be no consequences. Here's what we do all the time. There's this line. and We just kind of like children. You know, daddy isn't looking. We go across the... And nothing happened. So you think, nobody saw me. This is cool. Just become like a child. Just a child. When all those gambling sites were going on, and one up the street that way, I think, as all the lights and they're spinning around and they're going, they're just spinning. We're, I think it was Ruth was driving by and it's one of the grandchildren. Look at the pretty lights. And he went, oh, Grandma, that's bad. That's all you need to know. That's it. Now you go, no, let's just go in and see what's Oh, it's no big deal. What's one nickel? What's a quarter? What's 50 cents? What's a dollar? What's a paycheck? What's a life? The little child just said, didn't get cap- captured by the lights. He went, oh, that's bad. Because his father told him, that's bad. And so he told us, that's bad. I don't know. I don't know about us. Well, look, this stuff is good. When we lose our simplicity and our innocence, what emerges is an independence. That's why sometimes grandmas and moms don't like to see their little children grow up because they're so cute and so innocent and so, you know, and you tuck them to bed and they're so cute and they kiss you goodbye and goodnight and all that stuff and you get up in the morning and have their clothes lined up and they're saying, I ain't wearing this. I mean, it's just, you hate that part. But we lose that independence that stops us from having this nice or deep relationship with someone else. Now we're talking about the Lord. When you start to lose the simplicity and innocence with God, you start to become independent. Look, re- because relationships require the, the uncovering of a need. I have a need. I have a need. I need friends. I need my wife. It uncovers a need. And independence denies that we have a need. I'm all right. How you doing, Lenny? I'm all right. How are you, Dan? I'm all right. So we deny. We're independent from God when we lose our innocence and our simplicity. Now, have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who doesn't need you? I think God does that all the time with us. Tries to have a relationship with, with us and our actions and our ways and our choices. Tell him, buddy, beat it. I know what I'm doing. Jeremiah eighteen fifteen, a New Living Translation says this, but my people are not so reliable for they have deserted me. 
This is what happens when you lose that innocence and that simplicity. They burn incense to worthless idols. They have stumbled off the ancient highways and walk in muddy paths. Which God says, I had never had that for you. Jeremiah 32, 33 says this. Look at this. And they have turned unto me the back. You understand what that is? God's speaking and speaking and wooing and wooing and we've done this. Speak to the back. As a little child, you would never, ever, ever even think of to do that back when. They have turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. There isn't a thing we're going to be able to save to God. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I just thought of this. I wonder if we stand before God and all of a sudden he turns his back on us at that time. If so, it would be a rightful thing for him to do. Look, love is only proven when there's a choice. When there's a choice. That's when love's only proven. Other than that, it can't be proven. Let's take a good look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis tells us this. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Clearly, it, look, it states uh, this was in the midst of the garden to prove man's love. A choice. A choice to prove his love. It wasn't a game. It wasn't a setup. It was a choice. And he says in Genesis 2, 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou shalt eat thereof thou shalt surely die. There's your choice. There's your, listen, your test to prove your love. God says, all these, everything, eat, have as much as you want. Just this one right here. If you love me, don't eat that tree. Now, you can see if you've raised children of any age at all now in your lifespan, you know when you say everything's great, but this one, what are they drawn to? That one, because of that fallen nature that is in us. That's why. But God says, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you a test of your love for me. And that's what he does every day with you and I. Every day. I mean, that's not a big rocket scientist thing. Man, I wish I had an apple. There's all groves of them. Oranges. There's oranges over there. Plums all over here. Peaches all over there. God has supplied everything. But without a choice, who knows where love exists or if it exists. It was the only tree. Love is only proven when a choice exists. For example, if Ruth, <laughs> sorry, hon, if Ruth is the only woman in the entire world, and I say to her, I love you above all others, it's not going to have any effect on her. It's going to be meaningless to her. And why is that? Because I don't have any other choice. 
It's either this one or nothing. Do you understand? Love has to have a choice. I've done it. It's kind of silly, but it, it makes a point. I don't know. We could be at weddings. We could be all over the place. And my wife will be standing somewhere, and I'll go like this. There's all kind of women. I'll go I say, I choose you. Love has to have a choice. When love has to have a choice, then all of a sudden my wife is flattered, does feel special, can be excited. Me, out of every, me, and God was saying, love must have a choice. Choose me, please. Choose me by being obedient to not eat to this tree. Without the choice, there's no gauge. There's no level. There's no nothing if you really love me. So there's no reason for God to be pumped, flattered, feel special, blessed, excited. Nor would it be for the woman if the woman is the only woman alive. But in a multitude of women, she can feel special. And we live in a multitude of gods, a multitude of religion, multitudes of it. Yet your simple obedience to this in everyday life proves your love for God. Proves it. Love has to have a choice. You have to choose this day. The Lord forbids us things all through our lives. We know it. Even that conscience tells us, shouldn't do that, don't do that. Oh, that's horrible to do. Why'd you do that? That's put in us by God. There are things that we know that are wrong. So we have that choice then to obey God or do the wrong thing. Every day. And some days you just get frustrated. Things, nothing seems to go right, and then you go out and a tire has a flat, and you just want to kick it and cuss. It's a choice. Even when you're frustrated and whatever's going on, even the silly things in life, and you just want to, oh! But you know God doesn't want you to act that way. He wants you to be delivered from language like that or delivered from angry or frustrated tantrums or whatever. He wants you to choose him. This is Christianity, oh doctors. So you must have a choice. Look, because our obedience, our obedience validates my love. He must love me. My wife has to be saying, he must love me. After all these years and all this time and all this, and he must love me because my obedience and my choosing of her all the time validates my love. And so when Life and its ways and all its different turns and pitfalls and crosses and temptations and the various things. And I keep choosing, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
As you cry out for God and mercy and please, it validates my love to God. He must love me. Because of the choices I'm making. And God says, you know what? All you got to do is be as smart as a child. Samuel's great scripture in the Word. Samuel said, "Um, folks, what's more pleasing? Question to you and I today. What's more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings? Your sacrifices? The money you give? You're an usher. You work at the fair. You help out at restoration. If I call for a work day, you're there. Or your obedience to his voice. He asks us a question. He says, listen, obedience is better than all that other stuff. Just do it. I mean, just do it. They can go get your newspaper. They can go get your slippers. They can go get your little card and all that kind of stuff. But every day for the last week, you said, clean your room. And you still walk in there. You're like, oh, for Pete's sake, just clean your room. This is not hard to understand. God did not call us to be doctorates in Hebrew and Greek and Arabic. He did not call us to memorize the entire Word of God. He said, you want to be great? Do you want to be awesome in God? Yes, yes. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Become like that child. Because that cuts across everything. We want the red carpet. We want the preacher's or the pastor's parking space. We want, you know, the I want to be recognized. Uh, this month today, sheep of the year or sheep of the month is Ralph Harsh. And up he comes and everybody sees who he is. And we say, Ralph, on behalf of New Hope, we give you this clock. Engraved on it, look, Ralph, we love you, you're, that's what we, and God simply says, become a child if you want to become great. That's Christianity. You can make a thousand types of sacrifices unto God, work a thousand hours for God's service. You can. Give millions of dollars to his work, but all of those sacrifices mean little if there's no surrendered heart and obedience to God. Men, a lot of times we struggle with worship, shame on us. God says, worship me. That's enough. That's it. Over. Worship him. But you reason, if I worship, I feel silly, I feel dumb. If I raise my hands, I feel ridiculous. I feel surrender all. I don't know about all this. Excuse me for a minute. Shut up. Just worship him. Just worship him. Grandkids are at our house, and it's time to go. Dad could really nicely and politely say, boys, get your shoes on. And they're whatever. So involved, so running around or something, whatever, they don't hear them. Boys, boys, notice how the voice goes down. Get your shoes on. And then after a while it might be, and that's what God will do with us. 
Why not just simply, whatever you're doing, boys, get your shoes on. Okay? And you can see we have two little grandsons, and if one gets the shoes on and one doesn't, who's the father go looking for? It's, it's just so simple. So when you see it in the Word of God, you've got all these complex problems just because you don't simply believe and obey the Word of God. Just do it. And leave the rest up to God. This morning at the altar call, pray for an obedient heart and a humble heart. This morning. God, I want an obedient heart and a humble heart. And Lord, if this one I have won't, throw it out and give me another. An obedient heart and a humble heart. Difficult for all humans, I believe really difficult for us men. Because we mix up our relationship. We don't have it clear. We think, man, we've got to be men. That's not what being a man is. God says, you want to be awesome? You want to be great? You become like a child. Okay, now listen again, this opening text. Listen to the impact of this. You guys ever think of dying? You ever just think of dying? Maybe it happens when you get older, but I mean, you could die today. What's going to happen? What's, what happens? When you take that last breath, and it's all over. Everything that you know, life, whatever. And God says, except you be converted, number one, and become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that scripture tells me it is well worth a few more minutes this morning to make sure, God, you see, God, we know how to deceive ourselves. And Lord, we know how to play the game, how to have church. You know what's coming now. And, and Lord, that can be frightening. And that can be scary. And God, your eyes penetrate through all that stuff. And you see me naked before you my whole life, every word but I want to take a few moments this morning. I'm going to take a few moments this morning and humble myself, not go, I've been pastoring I know what's going on. No. Are you crazy? God says there's greater judgment on me because of spouting this off for the last 23 years. Greater judgment. So I'm going to take time and say, God, please give me a humble spirit, a humble heart, an obedient heart. See, they work. You can't be obedient unless you're humble. Unless you're humble. I pray all of you go to Walmart or Gabriel somewhere and you're in a hurry. I pray you're in a hurry. And you turn down this aisle and you see a shirt on the floor. Oh, I didn't put it on there. I don't work here. I don't. Boom, boom. <laughs> Seriously, just that. I pray that God can move upon 
you, 63 years old, pastoring for all these years, to just simply move upon you, make you submit, turn around, and pick up a shirt for someone who doesn't care if you pick it up or not. Put it back on the shelf. That's Christianity. I believe it. That you can sense God as meaningless and as silly and as... That's right. Yes. As that. Yes. We open up our altar this morning. I, I really do and truly hope that you had ears to hear and that you just don't take this stuff for granted because you've heard it before and you know about that and you know about this. No, it was given to me by God now for this day to this group of people for this moment. And let's just take a few moments to come to God and say, God, please give me that humble heart, Lord. Give me that humility, God. And then, God, help me to be obedient to you, Lord, to be obedient when I see it in the Word of God and when I hear it, God, that I'll just do it because then you will bless the obedience. That's our altar call. Please make your way. Please come before the enemy talks you out of it. Don't overthink this altar call. It's just that simple. Help me, God. Help me to have childlike faith. Simply believe.